So if you would turn in your Bibles to John, the Gospel of John, starting in chapter 1. If you please stand as you're turning there, we're going to stand for the reading of God's Word this morning, if you can. So John 1. So this morning we're starting, we're, we're continuing our survey in theology proper or systematic theology, uh, and this is our study in Christology. We're working through the study of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I thought it'd be good as we've been looking at topics, I thought it would be a good idea to, to get back into some uh, expository preaching because we've been doing some topics which are really good and very helpful as we're considering theolo- theological concepts that we would kind of dip into different t- passages, but John 1, 1 through 5, is one of the greatest passages, the greatest passage, on the deity of Christ. So I thought we're going we're gonna to take root here for a little bit this Sunday and then the 24th, and we're going to be working through this passage. So in John 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overtake it. You may be seated. All right, so if you keep your thumb there, we're going to be working through this text today. But I wanted to start off talking a little bit about some personal experience of mine recently, um, and I'll start by asking the question to you guys, if you could pick your, your dream car that you want right now, and some of you are driving, few of you are driving, some of you, most of you are, are not driving and, and anticipating anxiously that day when you get your first car, or maybe your dream car, so what would be a dream car of yours that you could say? A Lamborghini, a Lamborghini. all right. A Mercedes. A Dodge. A Dodge. <laughs> That's a little different. Elijah. Nissan GTR. Chevelle. Wow, nice. A Ferrari. Yep, these are easy ones. A big Navy truck. Any brand or just Navy? Just blue. That's all she wants. A Jeep Chariot or Cherokee or something like that. Yep. One of you go first. I can't. Yeah, Bella. A Jeep? Are you talking about like a Wrangler with the, when you take the, the, the top off? Oh, yeah, very cool. Judah. Nice. Okay. All right, we'll just go down the line. We'll keep going down the line. A Jeep. Two-door Jeep. All right, very specific. All right, so we'll, we'll stop there. Those are all good. We all, we all think about our dream cars, and, and right now the market for buying a car is really bad, and, and, and you guys probably don't know this, but my wife and I were actually thinking about potentially buying a, a new minivan and you know, I've had some woes with my, my minivan, and I was like, you know, we're just going to sell it and buy it new. <laughs> I go out and look at the market, and you know what? We're just going to fix it up and keep driving it, because there is no way we can afford that. And, and believe it or not, you guys probably won't believe it, but my dream car is a nice 2023 Toyota XLE Sienna with the dark smoke gray and the black trim, slide, power sliding doors, perfect air conditioning ventilation, perfect storage, foldable seats. This is my dream car. And if you don't believe me, just ask my wife. She will tell you. 
is very specific. It is very specific, but it is very true. If you ask my wife, she'd tell you this is absolutely true. I love minivans. They're functional. They're great for kids. They're great for when you're coming down our apartment stairs with bags and strollers and toddlers and babies. It is great to just throw it all in the minivan and just keep going. Those Toyota engines, man, they drive forever, and they have got some get-up. I will tell you what. They, they have got some get-up. And so this, all, this whole story that I'm telling you is, is kind of coming off of this. I, I mentioned my, our van now. It's had some issues. It's needed something replaced. I, I replaced what's called the rack and pinion, the steering rack, a while ago, and I actually thought that I had to replace it again, that the part that I bought was bad. So that was just defeating. And I was really struggling to work through this as I was thinking about our vehicle. Um, I was getting very discouraged. But then I just had this sweet realization, this sweet moment that the Lord kind of brought to me, just saying, you know, remembering that everything is the Lord's, that He has created all things, but not only does He create all things, He sustains all things. He provides everything we need. He, he is a Father that, that loves and delights to give good gifts to His children, and He will equip us and give us everything we need. And the van is not mine. Nothing is mine. Kind of like how Job said, you know, in the, naked in this world I came and naked I'll return, that I, nothing, nothing on this earth is, is, is going to satisfy. Nothing on this earth is going to give us a, a, a wholeness or, or, or have substance. That all we have is, is given to us by God and that we need to be continually remembering that. And so I was trying to tie this back into the the lesson today, but we're thinking about Christ as, as God, but to particularly as creator in this passage. That, that Christ is the one whom all things came into being through, and apart from him, nothing came into being that's come into being. He is he's a, the creator. He is the sustainer of all things, and we need to constantly remember that we are to give him honor and give him glory and, and praise him for what he has given us. So we're diving into this lesson, and I just wanted to maybe give you a little bit of information, maybe a, a little mini bio on John, the writer of this gospel account. Now, we know that John wrote this particular gospel. Um, it, he does not actually mention it by name, and he doesn't actually claim credit for writing it. If you actually look at all of the gospel writings, none of the writers actually claim credit. We know from historical context and writings that they wrote it. Um, but John, nonetheless, is the writer of this. And in, in this book, he is only referred to, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I think we can all agree it's probably a better title than just John. That's a pretty awesome thing, that Jesus had a, a special relationship with John. They were, they were uh, very deeply connected as friends. And uh, it's been speculated um, that John's mother may have actually been uh, the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so uh, historians and Bible scholars have speculated it's possible that John and James, his brother, could be cousins of Jesus. So there could be a family connection. We know that John's father is Zebedee. He owned a fishing business uh, that he ran with his sons, James and John. They were catching and selling fish in the market. And so we know these things about John. He's actually called the son, he and James are called the sons of thunder. I don't know exactly what that means or what it's referring to. Uh, it's pretty, John is just the guy with cool nicknames. He's, he, he's, he's loved of Jesus. He's the son of thunder. He's just got really cool nicknames. 
But in, this, in, in his writings, particularly in this gospel, the word love is mentioned over 80 times. In this gospel, the word truth is mentioned over 45 times. And above all these, the word believe is mentioned over 100 times in this gospel. And so if we had to sum up what John, the, the main point that John is driving at, just from that information, what we know, he's, he's, he's praying that you would believe the truth about who Christ is, and that in that you would be able to experience the love of God and come to know God fully, that you would believe the truth of who Christ is, and in, in this you would experience the love of God fully. And so this is a very interesting gospel message. It is unlike gospel writing. It's unlike uh, the other three in that they're, they're specifically called the synoptic gospels because they give a synopsis or an overview of Christ's earthly ministry. And, and John is continually seeking to give us a, a heavenly view of Christ. The, the, the theme of the book of John is that Jesus is the Son of of the living God, that Jesus is God made flesh. And so he's trying to give us a heavenly view. You will not find a uh, nativity portion in the beginning of John's gospel. It's not in there. Again, he starts not with Jesus' birth in the beginning of his birth. He's starting in the beginning of space, material, the material world, the beginning of time as we know it. And he's saying that in the beginning, Jesus was. And to say that is to say that Jesus pre-exists time and space and the material universe, that he's always been, and he is God. And in John 20, verse 31, John writes an explanation of why he's writing his gospel. He's really cool because he just gives us an overview. He's like, if you get one thing from what I'm telling you, this is what I'm telling you. He says, but these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. And so that's, that's the heartbeat of John. He, we come this morning, we come this morning to this text, and really John's prayer, if you will, is that these things have been written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's the only one who can save you. He's the only one who's made an atonement. He is the Son of God, that He is God made flesh, and that believing in him, you might have life. And so this is what we're working through. John MacArthur on this text in John 20 says, only when you understand Christ to be who he is, his person first and then his work, is there any possibility that you could be saved? You must believe the truth. And we know that belief is, is not all that, all that is involved. It is belief coupled with repentance that Scripture, we know from Scripture that even, even the demons believe in Jesus. They recognize who He is, that Jesus is the Son of God, that He has the power that He has. So belief is not enough. It needs to be coupled with repentance. This is, this is always how it has to come, that you would believe in Christ, and that belief, the Spirit would work in your heart, that you would repent. You'd recognize the sin that is within you. You recognize those idolatrous tendencies that Chris was talking about, that you would recognize that you, you are sick and you need a physician, that you need to be well, you need to be, have right standing with God, and that Jesus Christ is the only mediator, he's the only one who has provided a way to fellowship with God and 
salvation from the wrath of God. So I'd ask you now, if you, if you don't believe this, if, you, if you're struggling with this, if this is something that you've been wrestling with, you've been suppressing in your consciousness, you're, you're in your conscience, that you would bend the knee to Christ, that you would accept Him as Lord of your life. He is Lord, and Jesus Christ is Lord, and every tongue will confess, every knee will bow, and, and utter this truth. Unbelievers as well, well, there will come a time in the great white throne judgment when they, everyone will recognize the deity, the lordship of Christ. And so we pray that you would do that now, that you would recognize who Christ is and you would accept him as Lord of your life and you would seek to please and honor him. And you know these things to be true if you are an unbeliever here. We know from Romans 1 that it says you're, you're, you're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, that you, you know these things to be true. Your conscience condemns you. Your parents are teaching you. You're, you're, you're in the Word at church. The Bible, again, convicts you. Creation screams that there's a divine creator. So why not today? Why would today not be the day of salvation that you would repent and believe? Only Christ has made an atonement. And so we're working through this text, um, and we're going to start working verse by verse, line by line. And so the apostle, I'm sorry, yeah, the apostle John in this text is trying to correlate this text to what other text? We'll read, in the beginning, what does that bring up in your mind? Someone shout it out. In the beginning, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that's very intentional. He uses the same three words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But in this passage, he says, in the beginning was the word. And so what John's trying to do is he's trying to take us all the way back to the Genesis account. He's trying to draw our minds back that we might have a different lens. We'd be seeing the creation account through a different lens, through the view of Christ there. Because we read that text, and we don't necessarily think of Christ in that text. It's not explicit. It doesn't say in the, in the beginning Jesus created the heavens and the earth. It's not, it's not right there, but as the Trinity, we, we know, again, this mystery of the workings of the Trinity that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect harmony throughout eternity past in love and holiness working together to create the world. And so John is trying to explain this. He's defending the deity of Christ, that Christ is God. Christ was there. He's not trying to put a new spin on the creation account. He's not trying to give some uh, modern interpretation of Genesis 1. But we know that Christ was actively involved in creation. He's merely shedding light and explaining this truth, again, through the, to the, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And again, the, the theme of the Gospel of John is that Jesus is the Son of God. And so this is his defense. In the beginning was the Word. And so we'll start unpacking that. But I'm going to read real quick Genesis 1, 1 through 5. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was evening, and there was morning one day. And so you know this to be true, guys. We, we all understand this. We accept this. This is elementary 
truth. Again, the second question of the children's catechism after who made you, God made me. The second question is what else did God make? All things. You guys knew that, right? I should have let you do that. Yeah, my bad. So God made all things. What else did God make? He made everything. I, I, I try to tell this to my son. He's, you know, two years old, and he, it's like the one, he, he can repeat any word you want, but he, he, doesn't, he struggles with uh, the catechism questions. He does not love uh, to do that, which is frustrating. <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, we carry on. Uh, but as I mentioned before, in previous messages, there is a, there's a sense in which the world, not even a sense, is, very, is a very true, is, is a reality that the world will try to mock you and the world war will look down on you and the world war will scoff at you if you hold this view that the God of the Bible is real, that he created the world, that the Genesis account is literal, that he created the world by spoken word. And we believe it to be true because this is what God's word teaches, that this is this is basic truth that God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. We know these things. And we believe it because we believe the authority of the Bible. But even outside of that, if you needed to go outside of the authority of the Bible, which we, we never do, that the creation screams that there is a divine creator. That the creation, again, proclaims the glory of God. Our faith is immensely logical and, it, and it can, you can get there, again, through external creation, working through the design of the universe, how carefully designed it is and, and how the Lord has created it. We partake in a logical faith, with, which requires us to exercise wisdom and discernment. But the truth that there is a God who created the world could not be more clear. We, le- we live in a designed universe where everything is ordered and created, down to the cells in your body, the trillions of cells that are still, and we don't understand how they work. We can never understand how they work. We can never understand the intricacies of the universe and of life that God has created. But again, the experts of our day and age will tell you that this all happened by accident, that this was, this was just a big whoopsie, that the Big Bang, again, sparked this ball rolling and over billions of years you have evolved from from a clump of cells into a fish and into a primate and it, it's absolute nonsense and it, it, that's exactly what it is well they will try to convince you and mock you and tell you what you believe is nonsense what they believe is absolute lunacy and not that we would ever be condescending or or mocking of somebody but we, we are the ones who do not hold a foolish view that, that again, this, this extremely ordered world that was, was created by a creator, that nothing did not come, that, that something did not come out of nothing, that, that, that the Lord, a, a higher power, again, created everything and ordered it and actively sustains the universe. And I find this very interesting, but uh, one of the most notable and respected scientists of our age, uh, a militant atheist who hates God, uh, his name is Richard Dawkins. Many of you have probably heard of him. Uh, he was interviewed once, and, and he was asked to speculate what may have caused the Big Bang. How, how could something so immense that would explode and create the entire universe as we know it, billions of stars, billions of galaxies that we can't even imagine, we can't even understand, how, how could such a massive event be sparked? How could that happen? 
And he was really pressed in a corner, and he was, he was asked this question, and, and he, just, he just blurted out that he, he believes that, that, that aliens might have, there's some extraterrestrial goings on. This is the most respected, most intellectual person of our age, who, who, is, who is the face of atheism, said, I think little green Martians created the universe. And what we're told, what we believe is ridiculous. Guys, don't buy into that. Don't buy into that. You must believe and grasp hold of the truth found in God's word and hold on to it as the words of life because it is your life. God created all things and he actively orders them today. And as we dive into our study of John, we need to recognize the gravity of this topic, that, that we recognize God is the creator, but yes, the, the trinity that, that we see even in this text in Genesis, we see, if you look closely, you can see all members of the trinity. It says, God created the heavens and the earth. We see the Father is orchestrating this. Again, he is, he, he is the divine orchestrator of creation. We see the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And then we see the Word of God. It says, God said, let there be light. And so, if you look in Psalm 33, Psalm 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. In Hebrews eleven three 3, it says, By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. And so, John equates Jesus... Jesus Christ, the second member of the Trinity, he equates him as the, the Word of God. And we're going to unpack why he uses that. Why didn't he just say, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God? Why didn't he say that? That would have been clear, okay? But we're going to unpack why he uses this. And so we understand this text to say that when it's talking about the Genesis account, we understand it to mean that, that Jesus is the one speaking these things into existence. That Jesus is the one saying, let there be light. Again, over the orchestration, under the orchestration of the Father in creation, but Jesus is the one actively creating and actively sustaining that. We look later, it says, all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. It's talking about Jesus. And so Christ as the creator, Christ as the creator. Our goal in the study has always been to understand, have a further understanding, a further knowledge of who God is. That's what theology is, it's the study of God. And that might affect our worship. We're not just accumulating head knowledge for the sake of looking really smart or sounding really impressive. We do this because we are worshipers of God and we want to worship him correctly and we want to know more about him because he is the one who gives us life. In Hebrews 1, it says, talking about the Word of God, it says, God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir over all things, through whom also He made the world, and He is the radiance of His glory, the exact representation of His nature. And He upholds all things by the Word of of his power. Again, we see this concept of the word of God, that, that Jesus is, in one sense, the word of God, that he is speaking these things into existence, and he, by the word of God, by his power, is upholding the universe. And so we get, we, we looked a little bit 
a few weeks ago, a few months ago, I forget how long it was ago, we looked at Christ as, as the man, Christ in his incarnate state, that he came and he was humbled and he was gentle and, and lowly and, and he was stricken, smitten and afflicted. But now today we get a view of Christ as the eternal Son of God who's preexistent and eternal, authoritatively speaking the world into existence. And, and the phrase, he's, you know, John, you've got to think about the context of who John is speaking to. He's speaking to Jews and to Greeks. The, the phrase, the word of God, would not be an earth-shaking, earth-shattering concept to the Jews. They understand and they understood that many times in the Old Testament that, that Yahweh, that God was giving a word of the Lord. And we see in Hebrews 1 that, that the writer of Hebrews, I about said Paul because I would think it's Paul, but... That's not, neither here nor there. That the writer of Hebrews is saying that God has spoken, God has given his words through the fathers, through the prophets, in many portions, in many ways. Again, he's speaking specifically about spoken word, revelation. This is what he's speaking about when he says the word of God. It's always speaking about revelation, about giving, giving the law, how we might live in relation to God. And so he's talking about in the Old Testament, the, the Old Covenant, that God spoke through the prophets, spoke through the fathers to give instruction, to give it revelation to the people. So the Jews would not be, you know, they would not be confused by this text you know, in the day. They, they would understand the concept of the Word of God would make sense to them. And so, actually, as we, as we look from the other side of this, we think about the, the, the non-Jewish people who are, are listening to this, who are reading this book. The word of God is, is actually a, a pagan Greek philosophical idea as well. And so this is really, a lot of commentators have speculated, this is why John uses the phrase the word of God, because in the Greek, uh, in the Greek uh, culture, uh, the, this word word means logos. They, they believed in this supernatural kind of whimsical Word of God, word of the gods that, that kind of started creation that is active in creation but is impersonal. It's not, it's not a real person. It's not a material thing. It's just a floaty little weird Gnostic, uh, you know, Gnostic um, idea that the word of God upholds all things. It's kind of like this power. It's not like the force is what I'm going to equate it to. Maybe that's totally wrong. But I think of it, it's kind of like the force. It's just like weird, flowy, wizardy type force that commands the universe. And so this is what the Greeks believed when, when they hear the word logos in this text. They're thinking, wait a second. I believe in that to an extent. I believe that there is a, there's a word. There, there, there is a word of God that ordains all things, that controls things immaterially, impersonally. And John is trying to tell them, no, it's not impersonal. The word of God is living and active. And, and he is a person. He has come and he has made an atonement that you might be right with God. So it's very intentional when he says this. He says the word of God. And he's clearly referring to Christ. We understand that. Uh, this word in itself, if you were to look at the Greek translation, the word does not mean Jesus. It, it, it means message, logos. That's what it means. It's not saying that if you look it up in the original text, it would still say word. It's what it means. It's used all throughout the Bible as just that, a message word from the Lord. It's not anything special in that, but we see the context and we go down even further 
And John is hammering this point home in verse 14 of John 1. He says, And the Word, the Logos, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have beheld His glory. Glory as one of the only, as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So he's very clearly talking about Jesus. We know this to be true. Uh, and so he uses words specifically to draw in his Greek audience to, to expose them to biblical Christian doctrine. That, that no, what, you, what you're believing is a lie, that there is not an immaterial, impersonal word. It is, it is Jesus Christ, and he is the only way that you can be saved. And, and, and they believe, the Greeks believe that not only this entity, did this entity help create the world, but it helps sustain the world, like we already said. And I already mentioned uh, Psalm 33 and Hebrews 11 saying that by the word of the Lord, the heavens were created. That, that text that we understand these things, that um, is talking about Jesus. And so we look back at our text, and in the first sentence it says, in the beginning was the word, and that's the main focus of John. Again, we're, he's drawing us back to the creation account. Again, he's, it's undoubted, he's undoubtedly referring to the beginning of time, space, and the material universe. And like I said earlier, I mentioned it, the next word was is very profound. We're working very slowly through this, but it's very important. There's rich theological truth for us in this text. Was is highlighting the fact that Jesus, as the Word, and as a member of the eternal Trinity, exists outside of these parameters that he exists outside of time, that he exists outside of space, that he exists outside of the material universe, that Jesus is and always will be and always has been. In perfect love and harmony, the Trinity has always existed. And there's actually this really bad worship song that I wanted to highlight and just point out to you, maybe protect you from, or maybe you can delete it from your playlist right now as I'm talking about it. I don't know the name of it, but there's a line in it. It's from Hillsong or Bethel, and, and, and I would just say, as a, as a rule of thumb, if you, if you have those on your playlist, it's not all bad, but really, really bad ministries that, that teach really bad doctrine. Um, but there's, there's this line that says, you couldn't have heaven without us, so Jesus, you brought heaven down. And I just wanted to highlight that this morning, because that is immensely wrong. This idea, and we have this kind of lovey-dovey kind of cultural Christianity view that, that you know, oh, God just needs you. He just, he, he's, it's like this, like this boyfriend-girlfriend, like he just longs for you. He just, you complete God, and it's this weird kind of lovey thing, and then the worship teams and bands make it even worse as they kind of work through it. Anyways, I'm going off on a tangent. Um, but this idea that that, 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 that God needs you or, or that Jesus needs you is false. That we see here that, that, that the Trinity has existed in perfect love and harmony, fully equal in power and authority. They have existed in, in completeness, that, that God is a, a God of completion, that he is, he is fully complete. He doesn't need anything. He, he's not lacking in any way. He's perfectly holy, and, and in that, he is whole. He is he is completely together, and he is saving people. He brings people to himself that we might praise him and honor him and ascribe him glory because he's the only one worthy of it. So if you ever hear this idea that, 
oh, you know, Jesus, Jesus needs you. He, need, he needs us. It's, just, it's like this longing desire. And he does, des- in one sense, desire that all would be saved and that, that all would come to salvation in him. But it is not a need that he is lacking, that he, he requires you. The, the Trinity has existed, again, in, in perfect harmony forever, pre-existent, before the beginning of space and time. And so we need to understand that. that the God of the Bible is, is holy, and, and he, is, he is righteous, and he is, and he is good, and he's, he is a good God, and, and he does not save us on the basis of his needs, but he saves us on the basis of our need for him and our need to worship and to ascribe him glory. And so we look back down in the text, and just similarly, I'd, I'd like to speak on this as well as I've just made my way thinking about the, the pagan philosophies of the Greeks and, and, and their many gods. I wanted to give an exhortation about idolatry, but Chris did that again this Sunday. We've, we've been doing that continually, and I actually labeled it flea idolatry, which is what we've been talking about in the, in the, in the titles of Chris's sermons. But I'd like to take the time to just warn you of the, active, the activity of idolatry in our day and age that, that we've been going through First Kings as well on Wednesday nights, and Chris has been talking about Elijah and, and the great showdown, if you will, on Mount Carmel uh, when Baal doesn't show up, and, and they're, they're, they're cutting themselves profusely, and they're screaming and dancing and crying out, and then God just absolutely lays down the law and, and just destroys the burnt offering and, and, and declares that he is the one true God, that, that there are no other gods beside him, and that you should worship no other gods. And I wanted to make it just a, an, a, over, overwhelmingly apparent to you that these idols are still active today in the hearts of everyone, that we, we love to worship we are worshipers. God has designed us this way. We've been built this way. And either you worship God or you can be enslaved to many different idols and gods. Just as John is writing to the Greeks, he's saying, look, your, your ideas about how the world was created, how the world is sustained, all of your gods, they're absolute foolishness. It's absolute foolishness. And he's declaring here that Jesus Christ is God. And that you should turn away from those idols. You should turn away from those gods. And I'm saying the same thing to you today. There are many gods in this day and age. The God of of sexual desire. The God of comfort. The God of our own self-image, popularity, entertainment, power, success. And they're all motivated by the the idol, if you will, the demonic idol of self-love. And this is the anthem of the world. Love yourself. You do you. Even twisting the words of Christ saying, judge not lest you be judged, man. Just do your thing. You do you. I'm not telling you how to live your life. This is wickedness. This is absolute wickedness. Jesus tells you to deny yourself, to take up your cross and follow him. The world tells you that you were born special and you shouldn't apologize for who you are or what you feel. Jesus tells you that your heart is desperately wicked and you must be born again. Listen to the words of Christ. Again, like wisdom personified in Proverbs 1, the words of Christ, the words of the Lord, your conscience, they're crying out to you from 
the gate. Do not neglect them. You know these things to be true, young people. You know them to be true. Please take heed. Be a worshiper of Christ. Recognize Him as He truly is, the creator and the sustainer of all things, the giver of life and of salvation. And I'll take the last few minutes here to talk about the value of the Word, the value of the Word. We've seen that Christ was in the beginning. In the next line, we see that the Word was with God, indicates that there's equality, but yet ex- distinction within the Trinity, that, that, that Jesus is equal with the Father, but also distinct in His role. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So he's, he, he is with God, but he is, he is distinct in His role. And then it says, the Word was God. So, so again, the, the, the mystery of the Trinity, that, that Jesus is, is, is different from the Father, but yet they're the same, they're the same person, not person, they're the same uh, substance, three persons, one God. It's very complex and can be very confusing, but we need to understand this, and John makes very clear statements that we might do that. Again, the phrase with, with God can be rendered or translated as face-to-face in the Greek. So again, ent- emphasizing the in- intimate nature of the Trinity. They're eternally uh, co- coexistent. They've always been the Trinity. It's never been you know, just one member of the Trinity, and then they added uh, the, the Spirit or the Son. They've always been together, eternal, displaying perfect love and harmony. And actually, the text says the Word was with God, but the Word was a God. And, and in this, John is making three bold claims about the person of Jesus Christ. He says that Jesus is eternal. He's preexistent by saying he was, in the beginning, was the Word. He's always been. Secondly, he's claiming, again, the distinction from the Father. And thirdly, John is claiming that Jesus is God himself. So I'd like to take the time to to, to say, again, as we end today, we've just got through one verse. Um, And I probably could have gone faster. But I wanted to really take the time to to work through this because it's incredibly important that you understand these things. And so, as an application to end on, when you come to the Word of God, when you come to your Bibles, don't just skim read it. It's very easy. We have our Bible plans, and we have our systems, and we have our calendars. We, I want to get through Leviticus before this month, and I want to just work, and you just try to chug through sometimes. I know I can be trapped in this. And, and you can really just devalue the Word of God. You can just Again, it's just a chore that you really, you just spend, I mean, spend 10 minutes a day in the Word of God. And not that that's bad. Keep those habits up. Those are good things. But engage. Dig deeply. Don't just skim read through the Bible. Study it. Ask questions of your parents, your elders, your teachers. Take notes. Write things down, things you found interesting or impactful. Pick up some resources, a good study Bible, some commentaries and different books. Listen to sermons on passages you're reading. It's, it's really helpful. If you don't totally understand something, not saying that you need to, you need to work through, you, the purpose of a Bible plan is that you'd be continually refreshing your, your brain, your, your conscience with the Word of God, the story, the biblical narrative. So you don't want to, you know, be working through it too slowly. But read, you know, listen to sermons on passages you're, you're reading in. You know, there's many trusted teachers in, and, and you know, on Spotify, radio, you know, John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul, Tom Pennington, Alistair Begg, and, and even the own, your own teachers from the church. We have many Spotify accounts with, with uh, all the sermons on there. We need to be people of the word. As Peter 
says to Christ, he says, where, where would I go? For you have the words of life. And I'd leave you with this. Do you recognize the Bible as your life? Do you recognize, as that, recognize it as that valuable in your life? All right, I'm going to close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, Lord. And as we saw today, we thank you for, for Christ who, who is synonymous with the word. He is, he is perfect. He is holy. He is your perfect revelation, Lord. In these last days, you have spoken to us through your Son. And Lord, he is your perfect revelation to us, Lord, that we know you clearly through your Son. We understand you and how we might please you and how we might come to live in fellowship with you through the person and work of Christ. And we rejoice in that this morning. In your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen.